All right. We had our men's recognition. And we've spent some time this month looking at godly men. And so... Today, we're going to look at not just, or not a godly man, but God as the example of a father. An example of, regardless of our gender, we can all follow. So, today we recognize fathers. <laughs> and one day a year on Father's Day, we thank our fathers for everything they may or may not have done for us. Everything that they mean or do not mean to us. Some of us are happy and excited to celebrate Father's Day. And some maybe experience some reluctancy. <laughs> on Father's Day, that's when we generally try to focus on all the good qualities our fathers have. The qualities that we want to copy. Especially if you're going to be a father yourself, you kind of think of the qualities your dad had that you would like to copy in raising your own children. Or for girls, sometimes we think of the qualities our dad had that we would want to find in somebody that we were going to marry. You know, and even though some of us may have had great dads, some of us may have just had okay dads and some of us may have actually had dads that don't even actually register on a scale the truth of the matter is no matter how good or bad they were none of us have perfect dads even the best dad has his flaws We've looked at these godly men and the examples they set for us. And even those godly men had their flaws and moments of weakness. So to conclude our look of becoming a man of belief, a member of the mob as we would, an M-O-B, man of belief, We're going to take some time looking at the godly example of a father. Of what it means to show love for somebody unconditionally. And we see that best in the example God sets. And so at the end of the day, I hope that not only just dads will want to be more godlike, but that we would all see these characteristics and how they can influence our own lives. Because the truth of the matter is, no matter what kind of dad we had here on earth, we do in fact have a perfect father. He's the only father that we normally spell with the capital F. For father, right? 
So we looked at Matthew chapter 7. And we start it with verse 7. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, that door will be open. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Now, we're probably pretty familiar with the ask and you will receive, seek and you will find, knock and the door will be open part of that passage, aren't we? But today, I want us to look at it a little differently. Starting to pay particularly close attention to it in verse 9. And all the way down to 11. Because that's talking about fathers or those who provide for children. We, regardless of our age, all have the opportunity, the privilege, to be called children of God. And so we're going to look at this passage and how it applies to God in our lives. We're going to look at five roles that God is for us and that when we are modeling unconditional love, we may have to be for others. And the first one, is God our Father is a provider. Now look again at Matthew chapter 7, starting with verse 7. You'll have it there in front of you. I'm going to read it this time from a paraphrased version called The Message. And it says... Don't bargain with God. Be direct. Ask for what you need. This isn't a cat and mouse hide and seek game we're in. If your child asks for bread, do you trick him with sawdust? If he asks for fish, do you scare him with a live snake on his plate? As bad as you are, you wouldn't think of such a thing. You're at least decent to your own children. So don't you think the God who conceived you in love will be even better? I just like the way it says that. You know, we said we all have our flaws. None of us are perfect. But if we can at least be decent to one another... then how much more will God give us? Who goes beyond the just enough to more than enough? Luke 11, starting with verse 
11. Says uh, that last little part of Matthew 11, um, 7, 9. In a little different way, it says, Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? How much more will he use the Holy Spirit to provide for those who ask of it? During our praise and report time, we shared some answers to prayer. But that's what prayer is, right? Prayer is asking and trusting that he will provide and believing that he is going to look after us and meet our needs. God will provide. He'll look after us. It's a promise of great provision. <laughs> now, granted, some of us growing up may have had the parents who would have given us a lab snake because they thought it was funny. Or they were just mean. Some of us may have had the parent who would have given us stone instead of bread because they didn't care. But today, what I want us to realize is that whether you had a great example of what a loving parent looks like or whether you had a poor one, they're just an example of what God does for us. How God loves us. Matthew 6, 33. God promises that all the things we need will be given to us if we seek first his kingdom. Abraham said in Genesis twenty two fourteen that the Lord will provide. And we heard that scripture earlier this month. That the Lord will provide. Just like when we're growing up or even sometimes when we're older, every want we have may not get met. And sometimes even every need isn't met in the way we expect. But God loves us. He is a provider for us. If we ask for a fish, he will give us the fish. It may not be the fish we want. We may get bass instead of salmon. But he will provide. He will meet our needs. According to his will, though. And that's where some of us may get hung up. So we just need to trust in him, to believe in him. He will take care of his children because he is the only perfect father. 
Because he takes care of us, that's the next, second role. Because he takes care of us, sometimes there's this role he needs to fill. And sometimes as parents, there's a role we need to fill of disciplinarian. Now, normally we do not like that word. We don't like anything. We don't like disciplinarian. We don't like discipline. We just, it can be because we don't like being disciplined. We just don't. Some people don't like to be corrected. It doesn't have to stem from something in our past that may color that. It could just be we don't like to be corrected. But whatever it is that has made us look at discipline with a negative eye, the truth of the matter is we all need it. Without rules, without discipline, we all kind of go crazy, don't we? It's kind of what's getting wrong with the world today. Too many people have too many freedoms, and the world just goes crazy, right? When no one enforces the rules, no one makes you remember them, it goes crazy. Could you imagine what the roads would be like if nobody had to take a driving test before they got their license? They took you at your word that you studied, that you read the book, and you know what there is to know. Could you imagine? I wouldn't want to drive. I actually think I would probably stay in my house and video chat everybody and be like, hi, and become a hermit because I didn't want to go outside. Driving is crazy enough for me. I don't know if I'd want to go outside if people just did what they wanted. We may not like discipline, but honestly, the perfect father disciplines his children. Hebrews 12 even talks about that. They're being encouraged to not give up under the persecution they face. And sometimes discipline isn't correcting you when you've been wrong or bad. Because discipline also means following a regimen. You discipline yourselves when you get up every morning to exercise. You discipline yourselves when you eat healthy. You're exercising discipline in your life when you do not do things you know you shouldn't, and when you do do things you know you should. That's all part of discipline. And that's part of what God wants us to learn. The word is there for us. We've said that it's his guide to how we should lead our lives. How we can lead our lives and be successful at life. But it's going to take some discipline in even our own lives to be able to follow through on what we read. God had to discipline the Israelites.
because they came out of captivity. And then, I don't know if it's, I think it's the opposite of stir crazy. Is there, uh, is there such a diagnosis? They went a little freedom crazy? Thought that they could start doing whatever they wanted? Because they were finally out of captivity? That they did whatever they wanted, even the stuff they knew was wrong? And they had to be disciplined. And God disciplines us. John MacArthur Jr. explains the word discipline this way. He says, The word is a broad term signifying whatever parents and teachers do to train, correct, cultivate, and educate children in order to help them develop and mature as they ought to. He also says, Now God may use hardship and affliction as a means of discipline, a means of training his children, of helping them mature in their spiritual lives. When we're being disciplined, it means that your parents care enough sometimes to correct you. So when we're being disciplined by God, he cares enough. It's a sign that we're his children, as it said in Hebrews. It says, if we do respected our human fathers for disciplining us, then shouldn't we submit that much more to God who is doing this for our own good? That was Hebrews 12, 9 and 10. And then verse 10 of Hebrews 12 says, If we allow God to discipline us, then it will result in our own spiritual growth. We should be glad that we may have had somebody in our past who kept us in line and taught us right from wrong. And even though it was painful we still learned our lesson and we're all the better for it, right? So let us rejoice that our Heavenly Father, who is perfect in administering His discipline, will treat us as sons and daughters, making it possible so that we can grow and grow in Him. Discipline doesn't just refer to being corrected for something you've done wrong. You said that discipline means doing things, right? Or not doing things we know we shouldn't. And it's the same thing when God disciplines us. God can use even painful situations to teach us if we allow him. The Bible tells us that we will all have trials, but the Lord can use everything to the good of those who would love and serve him. God's goal is to discipline us to become holy, for he is holy. And one of the characteristics we've learned about discipline is that sometimes we too need to model it in our own lives so that others can see the example and learn from it. It's not our place to judge. But we should set the example of what godly living looks like and encourage others to follow that example. The third quality is that he is our sense of security. 
Now, how many of you guys as a kid or ever heard a kid say something like, well, my dad can beat your dad up? Normally, I actually joke that it was my mom, but it's, it's true, you know? And honestly, one of my favorite movies that I joke with my dad all the time is that Taken series where that dad does literally go out and beat everyone up to get his daughter back. Or as kids, how many of us ever had our dad or parents check under the bed or the closet for monsters before we could even fall asleep at night, right? We needed to make sure they weren't hiding behind the curtains, the bed, and the closet. The closets were always my thing. I would actually make my parents open the closet door. That way, if they were in there, I could be prepared and see them coming. I couldn't follow, I made, I made them open the door before I went to bed that night. After we checked everything else out, they had to open the closet door just so that I was ready. But it was our sense of security. We couldn't fall asleep, though, until they checked it out, right? Dads often fill the role of protector. The one who keeps us safe from harm. The one who will teach us how to keep ourselves safe. Uh, Dad's given me some fine pointers in life that I could use, including keeping myself safe and how to make sure that I could defend myself if need be, how to take care of things like car-related things. And to this day, I still call him to ask his opinion on stuff. They look after us and keep us safe. But that's not something new for fathers. That's not a new role for them to fill. It's one of those qualities and characteristics that they learned straight from our Heavenly Father. As the perfect God, Father, God is the perfect protector. <laughs> now, if you were to do a word search on Google for the times of fortress, the word fortress in just the Bible, you probably get a lot of results. And there's 16 just in Psalms alone. And every time it mentions a fortress, it's not talking about a building. It's talking about God. God is strong fortress. We teach the children a little song it says, the name of the Lord is a strong tower that the righteous run into it and they are saved. Our Heavenly Father is our protector. He's our fortress, our refuge in which we can flee. He can offer us physical protection from keeping us safe from harm by giving us healing. He can offer us protection from our enemies and he can offer the kind of protection no earthly father can. Protection of our souls. Even during a time of suffering for Paul, he was able to write Timothy in 2 Timothy 1, verse 12, and say, I know whom I have believed and am convinced that he is able to guard 
what I've entrusted to him for that day. And Jude 24 says, Jude 24 says, To him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious present without fault and great joy. Being confident in the fact that God has offered protection and that he would see us through to the day in which we can return to his loving arms and join him in his kingdom. Finally, God is personal and he's always there for us. So that's two for the price of one. He's personal. Now, how many of us like to be around people all the time? Like we cannot stand to be alone. It drives us crazy. We need to be in a crowd. Yeah. The Israelites kind of had that thing. They liked to be surrounded by people. But they had a bad habit that hopefully none of you guys who like to be in a crowd had. Instead of sticking to what they knew was right, they ended up doing whatever the crowd did. And if the crowd did something wrong, so did they. And so sometimes the crowds that they were around didn't believe in God. They did idol worshiping and things they shouldn't. And the Israelites started doing it too, even though they knew better. Isaiah 44:18 says that this about idols. They know nothing, they understand nothing. Their eyes are plastered over so they can't see, and their minds closed so that they cannot understand. And yet the Israelites, who had a God who had already seen them through things, who had delivered them, who had been there for them, who had traveled with them when they crossed the wilderness, turned to these empty shells because it's what everyone else was doing. And sometimes when we are surrounded by the crowd, we can find ourselves turning to empty shells of meaning. and letting them define us. And it doesn't even give us real guidance except for to lead us astray. It's not good for us. But we do it because everyone else is, right? We do it because we don't want to feel alone. We do it to fit in. The truth of the matter is we're not alone. Matthew 10:30 has said that even the very hairs on our head are numbered. God knows us that well. To know us that well, he has to be with us all the time, right? I mean, this morning, getting my hair ready for church, I lost three hairs. 
But I'm pretty sure God, who's always there, was there to keep track of it and go, yep, now she only has this many. Or when a new one grows, he goes, yep, now she has this many. Because he's always there for us. One of my favorite verses is Psalms 139, especially verses 13 through 16, which talks about how God was there. He formed us in our mother's womb, that he's seen us in that state, that he had plans for us before even we were born. Even Jeremiah 1.5 echoes the fact that God had a plan before even we came into being. We're told to call him our father. He's not this for far, far away being in which we have no access to. But instead, he's our father who loves us, who looks after us, who provides for us, who takes care of our protection when we let him. He's always there. He's our sense of security. He will discipline us when we need it. He doesn't care about the messes in our life. Our brokenness. Because all he wants to do is just like the perfect father does to fix it and provide and look after and keep us safe. He is always there, always present with us. Deuteronomy 31.6 says it, and then it's later quoted in Hebrews 13.5, where he tells us that he will never leave us. He will never forsake us. Psalms 46.1 says, God is our refuge and our strength. An ever-present help in trouble. Ever-present, always there. No matter what kind of storms we may face in our life, God is there. It's said in Matthew again, message says, don't you think that God who conceived you in love will do even better than whatever your earthly fathers here can do? No matter what kind of example we had as a father. Those are characteristics of unconditional love that God has. That he wants us to reflect to the world to be there for people 
to set an example for them to follow. To pass along what we've learned about our Heavenly Father. So that not just in our times of need, but in their times of need, they may know who they can turn to. We're going to enter our time of prayer. And we have a song that's going to play. And as it plays, I invite you to take this time Take this time and just think about our Heavenly Father, how He's there for us. He never leaves us, doesn't forsake us.
everyone and everything in the world around us may be failing. Your we can put our trust in our perfect Heavenly Father, who is more than able to keep whatever we commit to Him, whatever we surrender to Him. Our most gracious and heavenly Father, we just come before you right now this day, Lord. Lord, we thank you. Father, we thank you for that, for being our perfect Father, for being there for us, for providing for us, Lord, for protecting us, for disciplining us, Lord, helping us to train ourselves to walk in your ways. We thank you for being there, Lord, for allowing us to call you Father and for us to call ourselves your children, for adopting us into your family, Lord, and for always being there for us and always there with us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for all of this, and we thank you for the examples that you have given us here on earth, for the fathers that you have blessed us with. Just be with us this time, Lord. Help us to grow in you and to walk in your ways. And we ask these things through your beloved Son, Jesus. Amen.